We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Congressman Michael Quigley will be traveling to Yellowstone National Park with some of his congressional colleagues to talk about climate change. Last week, he was talking about the census alongside Senator Dick Durbin and some other Illinois Congress members. And the Chicago Democrat has also been public about about his feelings toward an impeachment investigation of the president. A visit with Congressman Quigley always sparks a lot of conversation, so stay tuned. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is 5th District Illinois Congressman Michael Quigley. He's had the job since 2009, and he represents most of Chicago's north side and some west suburban areas as well. Congressman Quigley is the only Illinoisan on the House Appropriations Committee. He's also on the Select Committee on Intelligence and a member of the Sustainable Energy and Environment Coalition. Congressman Mike Quigley, welcome back. It is great to be home and back with you. Well, let's talk about that SEEC coalition, because that's why you're going to uh, Yellowstone. Besides being a great excuse to uh, take a really cool trip, why are you and the other Congress members heading west? The environmental organizations uh, told us several years ago they're having a hard time uh, getting bandwidth, talking to the American public about climate change and educating and informing my, my fellow colleagues. So we thought one way to do it would be to talk about climate change and how it's impacting our national parks, something that has uh, national parks have bipartisan love and support from across the country. So we first went to Rocky Mountain National Park and walked around and toured with some of the leading experts in the world about climate change. And we saw mountains where about a third of the trees were gray skeletons. Uh, we went to the headwaters of the Colorado River where we were live streaming out the facts that uh, a single degree change in temperature means there's so much more rain and far less snow, which means a lot less water for the Colorado River and all the states that use it, for example. And at that exact moment, uh, President Trump pulled our country out of the Paris Climate Accord. So obviously we were messaging at the right time on an issue that's extraordinarily important. But extraordinarily important, but still struggling to uh, to get the, the funding that's needed and the attention that's needed. I mean, you wouldn't think natural preserved areas like the national parks are, are kind of a first line of defense against climate change, that they're the natural areas that help keep our air as clean as it is uh, to the extent that it is. So, you know, what... Is that not, are they not able to perform those functions? Well, they are, but they become victims as well. Uh, obviously, they're not immune to the the impacts. Uh, nature is strong. Nature is resilient, uh, but it is not invulnerable to the devastations of climate change. We're seeing uh, record high temperatures in the Arctic and in Greenland. Recently, the president was talking about purchasing Greenland. Besides the absurdity of the notion, the fact that it would never happen, what bothered me was 
I don't want Americans to think about Greenland as something we might buy like some sort of Manhattan real estate deal. I wanted to think about Greenland in terms of the fact that the permafrost there is melting and that the glaciers there are melting and it's changing the acidity of the oceans and it's uh, rising up seawaters. We have a world's national capital that is being deserted and changed because of climate change. And in Yellowstone, we're going to learn about the fact that invasive species are more likely to uh, take place, wildfires, uh, the tree canopy is diminishing, the snowpack is diminishing. This will have profound impacts on that national park. We think of them perhaps as invulnerable to all these things, but our message is they aren't, and uh, they are an indicator of what we have to be concerned about. What do you hope or expect, and that may be the more uh, telling uh, thing to talk about, Congress or the administration to do? Well, if the administration did anything but assault the environment, it would be a welcome change. Uh, I don't know which activity or thing we might have heard about this president recently that is more representative of his impact on the environment. The fact that he was an empty chair at the recent meeting of the G7 uh, on the meetings relating to climate change or the the rumors uh, and the belief that he actually believes that you can uh, drop a nuclear bomb in a hurricane to stop it because he has uh, expressed the desire that was in the um, some Internet rumor mills that this would happen. So. Uh, There is a pattern of behavior that is extraordinarily disturbing. The President of the United States has largely defunded the EPA, made horrible appointments, and pulled back progress that was made under the Obama administration to reduce emissions from power plants and vehicles, uh, funding for sustainable energy. So (laughs) I know everyone is focused on this next presidential election for the reasons we've talked about, the economy, Uh, the Russian assault on our democratic process. But uh, we're trying to express the fact that this administration, and frankly, all too many of my Republican colleagues are climate deniers and have done nothing but to continue that assault on the environment. And when asked about that at the G7 summit, uh, President Trump said his first priority is protecting the economic strength of this country. And he says he will not sacrifice that for efforts that he calls dreams and windmills. Yeah, what he doesn't understand is the two aren't mutually inconsistent in the fact that a strong environment grows the economy. Uh, We learned last year when the president attempted to defund for a second year in a row, uh, helped to restore the Great Lakes, that uh, we got bipartisan support to push back because our Republican colleagues were concerned about the multi-billion dollar fishing industry, the environmental eco industry, tourism industry that feeds into the success of the environment. The national parks are an example of that. But also it's canard to think that the economy Growing a sustainable energy future uh, doesn't grow our economy. The fact of the matter is we can't continue to live off fossil fuels. Uh, The coal industry that he's trying to revive, if we were to subsidize it 100%, in other words, 
let's give uh, the coal industry fifty a hundred percent of what it costs to extract a ton of coal. It still would not be competitive against other uses such as natural gas. We also understand that the use of sustainable energy, wind and solar, is the future. All our economic competitors, India, China, Europe, are pouring billions of dollars into those industries, recognizing that you're going to need a diverse source of energy to fuel our future and our economy. Um, I want to turn to something else you were talking about this uh, this past week, and that's the uh, U.S. Census. Uh, Democrats uh, in Congress are making a pitch for in, a more inclusive census. Uh, so far, the courts have been on your side, but you have suggested that uh, President Trump's abortive attempt to get a citizenship question on the 2020 census is not the last tactic that we're going to see. Uh, This will be an extremely complicated, difficult census. Best guess estimates, it'll cost $15 billion to complete this census. Uh, What we see now is a dramatic decrease in staffing for the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, the president's financial recommendations to fund the census are far bo- far below what needs to take place for this to move forward. So, sure, this is a, a cynical administration. It's not afraid of doing something surreptitious to undercut what should be done under the Constitution to make sure that every person in the United States, not just every citizen, uh, so I believe they're attempting to undercut, they have failed on the citizenship question. I think the damage was done there because I do believe there are many people living in the country who will be hesitant to uh, move forward with the census. So now their effort is to undercut it by underfunding its efforts. Now, the president has suggested that representation in Congress, and, and counting everyone is one thing, but he is saying representation in Congress uh, should be based on the number of people legally in the areas. If, if, if local officials want to encourage residents to be here illegally, well, they have to bear the burden. Uh, you know, the president plays fast and loose with what he says one day to the next and, and doesn't regard what's in the statutes or in the constitutions. Uh, the census, uh, as Congressman Rush talks about, has a long history as it relates to racial issues in our country. Uh, and uh, we need to be mindful of that. The president's trying to undercut what we have painfully learned for 250 years now, uh, and we can't let him do that. Um, I want to talk about other issues that deal with uh, undercounting, uh, this kind of flows into it, the elections. Um, How much should citizens worry about the involvement of Russia or anyone else in the upcoming elections? I think there's bipartisan support from people even within the Trump administration that recognize that the risk is still there. Uh, The outgoing DNI, uh, Mr. Coates from Indiana, not a liberal guy, has said about the Russian threat, the lights are still flashing red. Uh, we have been informed that there were attacks, attempts during the midterm elections. Director Comey said uh, the Russians will be back. I'll tell you, I've, I've been on the House Select Committee on Intelligence for f- five years now. Everything tells me they never left. It is 
what, three years now, the anniversary for the Russians' attack on the election infrastructure. Illinoisans should be, uh, I guess, proud of the fact that Illinois was the first state they successfully hacked. They successfully hacked into the Illinois State Board of Elections. Uh, Those efforts continue, and they will continue. But there are many facets of this that that we need to be concerned about. What did the Russians do? Uh, They hacked and dumped. They attacked the election infrastructure, and they used social media to pit one group of Americans against another, often cheered on by the President of the United States. In the midst of all that, what did candidate Trump said? Uh, he said, uh, encourage WikiLeaks and the Russians to go after Hillary Clinton's email. He encouraged them to commit a crime. So I'll tell you this, the Russians are still here. Um, the threat is there, and we are not ready. Um. Are you also still in the realm of elections? Are you seeing much evidence or or getting many complaints of voter suppression around the country that's domestic, that is not something that's coming from outside of the country? This is uh, something our country's faced since its inception. Uh, Through the Civil War was a different tact, and afterwards, uh, during Reconstruction, history teaches us that suppression was and continues to be an extraordinary threat on every citizen in this country. We see legislation passed by the states. We see redistricting accomplished by states to suppress. Uh, Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has not helped. It's actually gone in the opposite direction. Uh, And frankly, the only thing I've seen that will push back on this is uh, is a policy issue with a political solution. People have to elect those that want to include every person living in the United States, giving them an opportunity to become citizens, an opportunity to exercise their right to vote. Well, even getting uh, people uh, elected uh, has become an, uh, an issue in terms of uh, counting and getting people uh, really to be candidates. And some of that has to do with redistricting. Uh, President uh, or former president now, Barack Obama, has stepped up his own campaign for independent congressional redistricting. And no party would control the, any remap or sway things Democratic or Republican. Um, where do you stand on that and, and, and those efforts? I, I agree with uh, President Obama, but it has to happen uh, on a national basis. The Supreme Court has said this is going to be up to the states. We have seen states like Texas, Florida, Virginia, and others uh, act horribly in an attempt to to draw maps with racial components to them and to help one party over another. Uh, The state of Illinois needs to improve what it has done in the past. So for one state to think it can change everything is uh, delusional. I think it's important that we do this on a national basis. But that change has to come organically. It has to be driven by the public to demand this take place in every congressional district. In Illinois, uh, the I won't say the Democratic Party, but certainly the, the leader of that, uh, the state Democratic Party, Michael Madigan, has long fought against independent redistricting 
Uh, do you have any message for Speaker Madigan and the uh, the powers who be? I think we have to get past the cynical use of the one party's ability to draw maps, uh, to draw them fairly for everyone. And uh, he should be part of a drive for this to take place on a national basis. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Chicago Democratic Congressman Michael Quigley. Uh, Let's talk about, uh, we've been sort of talking around President Trump uh, up to this point. Let's talk about what is happening and making headlines lately. And that's more and more Illinois Democrats are coming out in favor of, at, at the very least, an impeachment investigation of President Trump. You've been on that side for a while. What's changing out there? I think it's uh, members have been home for a while and they're getting an earful, certainly. Uh, But I do think it's the ongoing obstruction by the president of the United States, uh, the ongoing assault on the rule of law. Recently, uh, it has come to the attention of my colleagues in the public that the president has said he wants to build a wall. And uh, he's telling his staff that uh, whatever laws they have to break to do it, go ahead. He'll pardon them. It's just a further indication that this president doesn't support the Constitution, or the rule of law, and he's a very dangerous entity. I'll put it this way. It is not a question of whether the president is fit for office. Clearly, he is not. It is not a question of whether he has uh, committed high crimes and misdemeanors. I believe he has. Uh, so his fitness is, is in question. He has committed crimes. So you have to decide, do you let the president off the hook just because you don't think you have the votes in the Senate or it may not work um, politically, or is it the right thing to do to hold him accountable? And I I believe that is so. The manner in which we do this is important, though. Um, The way it was done under Watergate is an impeachment inquiry, right? A resolution is passed which gives the respective committee and committees the authority they need to move forward. Uh, And and I think doubly gives the House the ability to go into courts to get the documents they need, to have subpoenas answered. At this point in time, the president has stiff-armed the Congress in its constitutional authority as a separate branch of government to commit oversight. So they're not answering subpoenas. They're not letting people testify. During Watergate, that was forced. Those subpoenas were forced, and we had the hearings, and the American public was educated and informed. That's what has to take place. Let's just remember one example. During Watergate, without those hearings, there was an oh-by-the-way moment in which one of the witnesses said, well, all this is on tape. The Oval Office has been taped for years. Without that, President Nixon never would have been held accountable. It's just one example of why we have to move forward with an inquiry. But what about those on the on the Democratic side of the aisle who are afraid that impeachment proceedings and, and the like will just energize President Trump's political base and, first off, divide the Democratic Party and also um, set the Democrats up to look like sore losers who are just de- trying to win... Uh, in Congress what they couldn't win at the ballot box. Well, I think that the Mueller report should illustrate just how serious these crimes are. It's very clear that the special counsel 
uh, would have indicted the president of the United States had there not been a policy uh, in the Justice Department that says a seated president cannot be indicted. Uh, an extraordinary thought because the what I raised with the special counsel during the hearings was what if this president serves a second term? The statute of limitations for the crimes outlined in the special counsel's report is five years. So what the Justice Department is saying is that the president is above the law. It is hard to imagine our founding fathers believed that they had just thrown off the yoke of a king. The last thing they wanted to do was create an executive with more powers than the king. Because under the Magna Carta, the president, the, the king was not above the law. So there's a lot at stake here. Do I think the president's base needs to, uh, drumming up? No, I think they're energized and always will be energized. So that doesn't concern me. I think that 3% of the American people had read the Mueller report before the hearing. 14 million people watched. Uh, if there were hearings similar to Watergate, I think the American public would understand more. I don't think we're ever going to change the minds of the president's base. But it's that person in the middle who may not have made up their minds that we need to um, speak to. But do you think that the division that there now exists between, and admittedly it's shifting, more Democrats, more Democrats in Congress are saying, let's investigate. Still, a lot are saying, let's not, let's focus on you know, doing our jobs and and uh, and fighting for what we believe in and on Capitol Hill. Besides this, I think what people need to appreciate first is I don't think there's a Democrat who hasn't doesn't believe the president has not committed high crimes and misdemeanors. Second, we are accomplishing extraordinary things in the House. Pick an issue, and Nancy Pelosi has led the House to pass that from education, gun violence, climate change, equal pay for women. Uh, We've touched on all these issues and we're going to do a lot more. So we can do more than one thing at a time. But to allow the president to not just have committed crimes, but I would suggest it is easy to see that he is continuing to commit these crimes. The fact of the matter is, when he tells his staff that they can commit crimes to get the wall built, He is continuing to commit a crime himself. And I believe he has said he didn't say that. Right. Um, (laughs) Prove prove us wrong. Give us some time. We'll we'll show you exactly what the president said. uh, He says something one day and denies it three days later. One day he said the president of China was the enemy of the American people. Three days later he says they're a great leader. When this president gets in the room with the truth, a fight breaks out. Um, tell me about whether you think the Democratic field of uh, candidates uh, is is capturing the uh, the attention or the the support of uh, Democrats across the country right now, the way you would like to see it. It's early. <laughs> um, I you know a year ago people were asking me who's this person, who's that person. Let's remember a history. A, a, a little while out, who knew who Jimmy Carter was? Uh, who knew he'll, who Bill Clinton was? Who knew who Barack Obama was? They couldn't pronounce his name. So it's still early in all those regards. 
My concerns are the following, uh, that the Democratic candidates not act as a circular firing squad. Second, that they not assault the extraordinary accomplishments of President Obama's administration, as we have seen. Uh, The health care law, for example, was a milestone in American history. It was an extraordinary accomplishment that still benefits millions of Americans and has saved lives. We don't need to score inside political points attacking that or each other. In the final analysis, what Democrats need to do is elect the most viable candidate to unseat this president. And that means that uh, the last person standing has to actually be standing. <laughs> um, this early on, do you have a do you have a candidate? Do you have a horse in this race? Uh, not one in particular. Um, I have served with many of them. I respect many of them. Uh, what concerns me is that their stances can't just elect them in a primary. They're going to have to elect them in a general election. Uh, the American public, it's a big tent. And maybe more important than how we look at this primary is how this country is leaning toward moving away from any sort of pragmatist sense of compromise. Um, This is a broad ideological spectrum in our country. And if anything, both parties tend to be driving toward their outer extremes on issues with almost uh, a sense of it's my way or the highway, a hyperbolic sense of uh, purity. Uh, if you're not pure on all these issues, then you're the enemy of the party. I think that's destructive toward uh, political success. I also think it's destructive uh, as an attack on the democratic process and who we are. Two-party system matters. But in the final analysis, uh, anything that gets done in D.C. gets done in the middle. Um, it, are you feeling that on, on the, the issue you just cited, health care? Sure. Uh, is that one of those issues where both sides, the, the Republicans are going way to one side and Democrats, at least some of them, are going uh, far more toward what some are labeling socialism? But uh, that, And how much of a problem is that? Well, it's nothing new. Uh, last time we passed major health care was the first time we passed was uh, the ACA under President Obama. The first time we passed major health care reform. During that time, the lead up, my office was being picketed by people from both extremes, sometimes on the same day. Well, we were told that the health care plan was either socialism or communism or fascism, which hard to do at the same time by the Republicans. And on the left, we were being told, don't you don't dare pass this because it's not single payer health care. Our response was, this is something that dramatically improves access to health care. It moves the ball way down the field. You're ending um, women paying more for health care than men. You're ending the donut hole for senior citizens, which made it difficult to pay for bills and for pharmaceuticals, Uh, pre-existing conditions, uh, lifetime caps. This is extraordinary change, yet 
because it's such, and I understand the emotions behind it, but it's such an emotional issue that people feel that if you aren't with them on everything, then then you're some sort of enemy of the people. We're seeing that a lot on issues. Healthcare seems to spark it more than most. But immigration is another one of those issues. We've uh, we've had Republican presidents who've been for uh, immigration, re- comprehensive immigration reform. President Reagan twice signed a measure to help those who are existing, living in this country right now, who are undocumented. There was a sense, perhaps the best way to put it on immigration and on health care is that you can be a, a pragmatist who has aspirational goals. We can accomplish great things being pragmatic and recognizing it's a big country and some of it involves a compromise. But if we don't compromise, you won't get any of those things done. That's going to be the final word. That is Congressman Mike Quigley. Thank you for spending the half hour with us. It's always good to have you back. Anytime. Uh, To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.